Okay, who are we? Okay, yeah. Go from the top again. Alright, who are we? Who are we? Who are we? We are Holy Spirit empowered. Servants like, like Jesus. Jesus. We are. We are. We are the hospitable family of Jesus. We are. We are strategic missionaries for Jesus. We are disciples devoted to Jesus. We are helping people find and follow Jesus. We, we are. are. We, we are, are City Gates. We are City Gates. Oh my God, you like, nailed it! Memory kicked in. <laughs>So I'm preaching. Wow, that's exciting. Um, sermon title is called It's All About Presence, which is a quote from Monsters, Inc., which I mentioned I was going to play Monsters, Inc. earlier, but uh, at the beginning, Mr. Waternoose, the spider CEO guy, is like, how many times do I have to tell you it's all about presence? So that's, that's my sermon title. Um, okay, so... Uh, this message is a one-off message. It's not part of the one series. <clears throat> Normalized preachers bring in their own water. Sorry. <laughs> um, so Ryan was sick a couple weeks ago when he was supposed to preach through Isaiah, and so everything kind of got bumped back. So I'm doing a one-off sermon that sort of kicks off the summer. But then next week we're going back into the one series because there's still one more to do before the summer. So this is basically just an interruption. Um, just interrupting the one series uh, with these shenanigans. But yeah, it's all about presence. I'm going to say that phrase about 100 times today. It's all about presence. So feel free to finish my sentence when I say it. So like this. It's all about... Oh, yeah. Y'all are awake. This is great. Okay, cool. So um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Hebrews 10.25, that's the verse that we're going to be kind of talking through. It's it's an important verse. It's one of my favorite verses, but it's really important to have the context of the verse. So let me read the verse to you first. Um, This is from the New Living Translation. Hebrews 10, 25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Um, And so great verse, but obviously on its own, um, it has the potential to be a little legalistic. Um, It's even got a bit of sass in there. It's like, let's not neglect meeting together like some people, but encourage one another. Like it just, yeah, it kind of has that vibe. So Um, yeah, so we're going to basically talk through the context of that verse, uh, verses 11 to 25, kind of leading up to that, because it's a very important verse, but without its context, it can be a little legalistic. I was going to start the sermon with a joke, but I got this haircut instead. So um, let's just read Hebrews 10, 11 to 25. (laughs) I'm going to read from New Living. I just find it a little easier to read from. Um, And then, uh, yeah, we'll get into it. So read along with me if you can. Hebrews 10, I'm starting in verse 11. It says, Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, 
offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. It's my favorite verse. For by one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Verse 15 says, And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Fun fact, that's from Jeremiah. Spoiler alert, that's next week. Verse 18, And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What am I supposed to sing? This is the word of the Lord. And then you say something. Yeah, okay. Um, so I'm going to cut this scripture into two sections, 11 to 18 and then 19 to 25. 11 to 18 is talking about the new covenant. Um, before that, it's talking about the new covenant as well. But it's all kind of leading up to this. Okay, so Jesus comes, establishes this new covenant. And then 19 to 25 is kind of what that actually means for us. So I'm just going to tackle this in two sections. So the first section, the new covenant, um, total side note. I always thought it was funny as a kid when you were like, so how old is the New Testament? It's like about 2,000 years old, give or take. It's not very new. But in the grand scheme of the ages, it is the newest of the covenants, right? Um, so if you look back to the beginning, looking at the, the whole story, which is what we've been doing in the previous series anyway. So um, we started in the garden and we're in full communion with God, naked and unashamed. And the whole point is that there's this relationship happen, happening there and they're, and they're just with God and it's cool. And then we have this first sin and we get kicked out of the garden. Now just... To say this out loud, I know you know this, but it's just helpful to say out loud, it's not about the trees, okay? So when they got kicked out of the garden, it's not like, that was such a nice garden! Like they had, the apples were so shiny, they're not, the, the fall is not like, oh no, we no longer have access to the trees. That's not the big concern of getting kicked out of the garden. I'm sure it was a nice garden. But obviously the point is that we were kicked out of communion with God, right? That was the main thing about getting kicked out of the garden. And interestingly, I'm sure that was the enemy's plan all along, is to get us out of God's presence, right? Sin gets in the way of our relationship with God, and so once that gets introduced, obviously there's a, there's a barrier between us and God. And so after that, you kind of have this period of time between the fall and between when Jesus showed up, um, when only certain people kind of actually get to be with God and in God's presence, and only in certain places, and only at certain times. Typically under the law, you were dealing with the high priest, and it was like a once-a-year thing, in this particular building at this certain time after he did a bunch of specific things. And so verse 11 of Hebrews 10 is basically just saying this old system was a band-aid. It, it couldn't possibly stand forever, right? 
So verse 11 says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The old system couldn't fully take away our sins. Um, it's like, again, thinking about from a crime perspective. So it's kind of like, okay, so you do, let's say you, you, know, you commit a crime, and then it's like, okay, after you've been okay, convicted, then it's like you pay this fine, and it's like, okay, I've dealt with that, but it's still on your record, right? You're still, you're still a criminal. You've done something wrong. And that doesn't do anything about any potential future crimes that you're going to do, right? Or any previous crimes. You're just paying the fine for that one, right? And so this is kind of the, the main concept of that sacrificial system is that it's just like, okay, it just kind of is a Band-Aid. It's dealing with the situation right now, but it's not really, there's no long-term solution here. Other interesting thing to note uh, is the fact that it says every priest stands daily at his service. So the priest had to stand, but it's a good metaphor, a good picture to kind of say the work was never done. You had to just continuously stand. Some of you stand for work. I, I am lucky enough that I get to sit for my job. My wife has to stand on her feet all day for her job. Yesterday, I had to stand at this car wash, and I tell you, at the end of the car wash, I was exhausted. My legs were so tired. I couldn't wait to sit down, right? And then it says, what? It says later on that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, and so there's kind of this picture of relief, of rest, of like, okay, we're, we're done. It's finished. We're, we don't have to keep standing there, keep doing this thing. It's like, no, it's finished, right? Um, and that is obviously the relief. That's the relief that Jesus offers. Now, verse 12 says, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. So that kind of speaks to that whole future thing. Again, it's, it's not just paying the fine for a particular crime, right? It's actually wiping your criminal record completely. For those of you that have criminal records, you know what I'm talking about, right? The relief of having your criminal record wiped, it's a fantastic feeling. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then verse 14, as I mentioned, one of my favorite verses, um, we've been made perfect. And so again, it kind of speaks to that criminal record thing of like, we get to stand in front of God and not be like, okay, you know, the, the fine has been paid, so I'll, I'll let you in. It's like, no, we get to stand perfect before God. This is a great quote from Charles Spurgeon on this verse. He says, what a glorious word. Those for whom Christ has died were perfected by his death. It does not mean that he made them perfect in character, so they're no longer sinners, but that he made those for whom he died perfectly free from the guilt of sin. When Christ took their sins upon himself, sin remained no longer on them, for it could not be in two places at one and the same time. So it's just this, that, that's, this is literally the gospel. Like, we're just starting the message with the gospel here. But it's like, this is the amazing thing, is that we get to stand in front of God, perfect, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his sacrifice, which is once and for all into the future. Okay. Now, verse 16 and 17, uh, as I mentioned, it's quoting from Jeremiah 33. But when we're talking about that timeline of like, okay, we had before the fall, and then we had fall until Jesus, there's the time that Jesus was actually on earth, right, 33 years or whatever, and then post-Jesus era. So while Jesus was here, the cool thing was is that anybody could come and see Jesus. He wasn't only hanging out in this particular temple, right? He was walking around. He was all over the place. But he could only be in one place at one time. And so then when he's leaving, Jesus is like, it's better that I go because then the Holy Spirit is going to come. And that enables this amazingness where multiple people can be in God's presence anywhere around the world, Mongolia and California at the same time. Super cool, right? Um, but it specifically says this quote from Jeremiah 33 that says the law uh, will be written on their hearts. And so what does that mean and why is that important? It's basically talking about the Holy Spirit. I feel like I'm just talking about what we already said earlier. <laughs> I'm just repeating the same stuff. But this is the whole thing, is that the Holy Spirit is now leading us, guiding us. Galatians 5.25 says we should keep in step with the Spirit. And Jesus modeled this. He spent so much time in God's presence because it's all about 
presence. That's right. Very good. Um, and his kindness leads us to repentance. And so spending time in his presence, obviously, is, is the main whole point of this. Uh, one last thing on this first section, the verses 11 to 18, is the Trinity is all over the place in this passage. So you have seen in verse 16, God kind of sets up this plan, right? He's like, this is what I'm going to do. He's announcing, okay, this is in Jeremiah. So this is like hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. He's like, this is my plan, just so you know, this is what's going to happen. And the plan includes Jesus submitting to the will of the Father, offering himself as a sacrifice, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and that's how God puts his laws on our hearts. And the Spirit convicts us, guides us, and helps us to be in communion with God, which was enabled by Christ's sacrifice. Okay. Amen. Very good. Okay, so verses 19 to 25. This is the second section, and this is kind of what that new covenant means for us. So, um, yeah, I'm going to read from ESV because it kind of, the grammar of this is a little bit more helpful. So, Verses 19 to 21, it says, Therefore, brothers, so therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he's opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So there's kind of these, therefore, since this, and since this, and then he kind of goes on from there. So the two senses are, since we have confidence to enter the holy place. Now, where is the holy place? That's where God dwells, because it's all about presence. So we want to be in God's presence. So since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, little side note, I'd love this detail. The curtain that was blocking people from entering into the most holy place, which is where they could meet with God in the temple. There was a curtain there and it was like, you couldn't go past that curtain unless, you know, you were the high priest or whatever. God's sacrifice, or Jesus' sacrifice did not take the curtain down and fold it up and place it neatly to be used later. It was ripped. It was done. It's like, no more. This is the old way. Now on to the new way, right? And it just speaks to the permanence of Jesus' sacrifice, which I'll get into in a little bit later. So the first sense is, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. And so the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews. We don't actually know who wrote it, but it's written to Jews. And so there's a lot of talk about Jesus as a high priest because that's their framework, right? The, the priest system and all that. That's where their, where their perspective is. And so there's two things earlier in Hebrews, Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 7, that talk about Jesus as a high priest that I just wanted to highlight. The first is that he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. So it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, Hebrews 4, 15, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. And then Hebrews 7, it talks about how he's interceding for us. Uh, he intercedes with God on our behalf. Side note, Hebrews 7, 23 talking about the old system, it's a hilarious problem. It says, there was many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. We wanted to have the same priests for 2,000 years, but they kept dying on us. We had to keep replacing them. I just thought that little detail in there was quite hilarious. But anyways, but because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. So remember that. So it's like Jesus died, comes back to life, and then he establishes this new system, and he's still alive. He didn't die again, right? So it's like, because he's still alive and will be forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Okay. So, therefore, since reason A and since reason B, let us, let us, let us, and let us. This is the salad verses. Uh, I can't take credit for that dad joke. Vic told me about that. I was like, yeah, I'm going to preach from Hebrews 10. He's like, oh, the salad verses. It's like, what? He's like, because of all the lettuce. I was like, amazing. I am, I am, I am so appreciative of that joke. 
So um, there's four things that it says, let us do. Um, and of course, this wouldn't be a proper sermon if they didn't all start with the same letter. So I've got four things, starting with the letter E, um, that I'm going to highlight, but it really doesn't matter the word that I'm using. Anyway, so the first one is let us enter. And so this is Hebrews 10, 22. So since we have a great high priest, and since we have boldness to enter, let's go in. Let's enter into the presence. Um, I thought about this funny analogy. It's not meant to be a political analogy, but think about the White House. Imagine if you were to hop the fence, just run across the lawn, just open the door, go on into the White House, go up the stairs, find Joe Biden's bedroom, sit on the edge of his bed as he's waking up. You're like, morning, Joe. How was your sleep? You can't do that. You would get shot, right? That's just not a thing, right? Um, and so that's because you don't have the privilege to go in there and do that. You don't have the right to be in there and somebody would stop you from going in there. And this is actually something that we as Christians take for granted, which is something that we were just talking about, taking things for granted, um, is we forget that being in God's presence used to be one special guy, one special place, one special time, and now it's like we actually can just walk into God's presence. We just did it this evening, right? Which was amazing. I said this evening, not this morning. We forget that, and so it's something that we often forget how important it is and how amazing it is that Jesus gives us the ability to walk into God's presence. And so this whole verse is like, since you have the confidence to do it, do it. Walk into God's presence, right? And this whole thing speaks to relationship. Again, it's all about presence. This is a classic, cliche Christian line, but God wants to be in relationship with us. It's so true. That's literally what all of this is about. That's the whole gospel. It's him wanting to be in relationship with us. We lost it in the garden, and Jesus has enabled it through his sacrifice. Another thing that I thought was super profound that actually Vic said last week um, was that we often pray for God's hand but 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And interestingly, God's face is often translated as his presence. And so there's this kind of sense of like what we just talked about, about uh, going to God with like a list of things that we need. He does want us to bring those things to him. He wants us to come to him with, with our needs. But he also wants us to just come to him in relationship, to be in his presence. It's all about presence. Think about if you had someone that was only using you for what you could do, you know? I think about if I were to invite my good friend Brett to just come over to my house and be like, hey, can you, like, paint my fence? Hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? And he's like, hey, can we go out for breakfast? And I'm like, no, I don't have time for that, you know? That's not a relationship. That's just a transaction, right? And so think about, like, God has done all of this stuff just to be in relationship with us. And so Jesus asked his disciples this question. You know, he's said, what do people say that I am? And then he said, but who do you say that I am? He asked that question to them. I think it's important for us to ask ourselves that question on a regular basis, just to remind ourselves, okay, who is Jesus to me? What, what is he to me? Is he my butler that just does what I want, my genie? I just go to him with my needs and he, you know, provides for me. Is he my badge that I wear as like a self-righteous, you see, I'm a good person now. I, I got the self-righteous Jesus badge on. Or is he our Lord? Is he our father, as Ryan talked about? Is he our friend, right? all of the things that the Bible describes him as. It's important to, to be asking ourselves that question, who do we say that Jesus is? And remember the enemy's plan from the garden was that he hates that we're in communion with God because he got kicked out of communion with God. And so he will try to convince you that you are too guilty to enter God's presence. You haven't been good enough this week to go into God's presence. It has nothing to do with you. Jesus' sacrifice is good once and for all, and so therefore go into his presence. Since you have the boldness, go into his presence nothing to do with what you've done. Okay, so that's the first. Let us enter. All of the lettuce verses. I love it. Okay, number two is let us endure. So this is a bit of a shorter one, but I'm going to read from Amplified, which is just the Bible turned up to 11. 
It says in verse 23, let us seize and hold tightly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. Why would the author say to hold on tight unless we could lose our grip? Why would the author say don't waver unless we can waver? If you've been a Christian a long time, don't think I'm all good. I got it. We've seen people walk away from the faith. Hold on tight. Remember, the enemy also loves to use your pride for the same way that he uses your shame against you, to be like, oh, I don't need to spend time with God. I'm good, right? I'm godly enough. I'm fine. I can skip out on that. Um, Obviously, we don't just spend time with God to get more godliness. I mean, obviously, that happens, but we spend time with him because he loves us. Another funny side note is we have realized more in the last decade or so, um, but it's always been true. There is a big difference between being physically present and actually being present, right? And so obviously, I don't know if you've ever been talking to someone that's on their phone and it's like they're kind of nodding along, but they're not really listening to what you're saying. Um, Maybe they're listening to your sermon and they're nodding and they're taking notes. You're like, are they actually listening to me? I don't don't really know. Maybe you've experienced that. I don't know. Um, But that, I think that translates into the same thing with our spending time with God and in God's presence. It's really easy to just kind of go into autopilot mode and it's like, actually, God has called us actually into his presence to actually be present because it's all about presence. Very good. Okay, cool. So the first two, let us enter and two is let us endure. Those two are more individual. The next two are more community-based. And so the third one is let us envision. Um, Hebrews 10, verse 24 from the New Living says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Uh, I'm sure the author doesn't want us to just think of ways to motivate one another, but to actually motivate one another to love and good works. Um, and I think it's, it's important to remember that you can't do that by just showing up to church, smiling and leaving. You can't really motivate one another to love and good works by just showing up, you know, nodding, standing, sitting, leaving, you know. Um, This happens before, during, and after a a Sunday evening service. Also happens in small group, by the way. Everything that I'm saying about church service obviously also applies to a small group scenario, but um, yes, it happens in fellowship, obviously. I think it's important to highlight that it even happens with the basic things in fellowship. So what do you bring to the table to help motivate other people to acts of love and good works? Your smile, your laugh, your hello, your hug, your conversation, your prayer. Here's one. How many of you, show of hands, have been encouraged by a singer that's not on the stage in church? Someone sitting near you. How many of you have ever been encouraged by somebody near you singing? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's the thing. It's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not on the stage. I'm not doing anything. I'm not serving in any particular capacity. You are still there encouraging other people and motivating them to love and good works without even realizing it. Even in autopilot mode, sometimes you can do that, you know? Obviously, the bigger one, though, of course, is spiritual gifts, which was so cool that we had that today. I'm so happy about that. I wanted to talk about the time that when Ryan was sick, Vic sent a message out to the deacons to just kind of be like, hey, guys, come ready. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. Like, I was literally so excited, not because it's like I had been desperately waiting for it. I was thankful for the kick in the pants to be like, be ready. I was like, yeah, I need to be ready. I need to come to church ready, filled, and excited to encourage other people. Um, But yeah, talking about autopilot for a second, uh, I think that that was a helpful kick me out of autopilot, that message. And so I thought about hand washing. So there's two kinds of ways to wash your hands, okay? 
there's autopilot washing your hands, which is, I just went to the bathroom, I'm supposed to wash my hands. So you get soap and you lather up, you rinse the soap off, you're good, right? You don't see any dirt, there's invisible germs, right? But it's like, you know, you wash your hands, I hope you are washing your hands. But the other kind of washing your hands is when you've been like gardening or working on a car and your hands are like super dirty, right? And you can see the dirt. So you start with like four pumps of soap and you're like scrubbing like crazy, right? You're trying to do all this stuff and you rinse it off and then you look. There's still more and you get more soap and you keep going, right? That's intentional hand washing. This is a silly example, but I think that that's how we need to approach coming to a church service or going to a small group meeting is being intentional. Now, important note, and I mentioned this already, autopilot church attendance is still better than not attending. You can actually encourage people without even realizing it, right? But obviously, being intentional is significantly more helpful. Um, So this is my challenge to you, actually, is to pray before church, on the way, okay? In the car or however your travel method is. Maybe you walk to church or ride an electric scooter. Um, Pray on the way to church and pray... Obviously, a lot of the time, I feel like we've prayed, God, help me to receive today. And that's good. You, you are here to receive. Absolutely, you're here to receive. But you're not just here to receive, right? You're here to give. And so the prayer would be something along the lines of, Holy Spirit, help me to be ready to receive, but also help me to be ready to give. Use me in whatever way needed. And come and bring a word, bring a song, bring a verse. Be intentional. So that's the third one is um, let us envision And then, of course, the fourth one is Hebrews 10.25 itself, which is the pinnacle of this whole passage. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I said, let us embrace, because I think it's just something that it's like, it's not just like, okay, I need to go to church, but I need to embrace my church. I need to be the church at church with the church. Don't underestimate the power of showing up. Like I said, your smile, your laugh, your hug, your conversation, your singing voice, all of those things are super important. Um, I think back to even just very recently, um, we took for granted coming to church. We couldn't even come to church, right, during the pandemic. And it's like, man, it's amazing how much we missed it and how much isolation sucks, even for introverts. just want to address that for a second. Obviously, introverts and extroverts will deal with church differently, and that's fine. We are built differently. But mental illness skyrocketed, not just amongst extroverts in the pandemic. We don't do well in isolation. Now, maybe your church service as an introverted person, you come, you talk to like one or two people that you know really well, you sing, you're encouraged, and then maybe you talk to a couple other people and then you leave. And that's okay. You don't need to say hi to 10,000 people in order to, you know, be an important part of this church. Um, but we, we are in desperate need of community. The other thing is other translations of Hebrews 10.25, instead of saying, as some people do, is as the habit of some. And so it's talking about as a habit. And so this is something that I think is so helpful. Um, You know, the classic quote, we become what we repeatedly do. Don't make it a habit to isolate yourself. Make it a habit to be in community as much as possible. Um, I found this tweet from this guy, uh, Rich Velodas. I don't know how to pronounce that. He's a pastor in New York. Anyways, I just thought this tweet was very profound. He said, the Bible is more communal than individual. Jesus teaches us to pray our Father, not my Father. Paul uses the phrase our Lord 53 times and my Lord only once. Also, a phrase not found in Scripture is, Jesus is my personal Savior. We are the people of God and we belong to each other. And so the reason it's so important to come to church on a Sunday and go to 
small group during the week is because of the gospel. And Hebrews 10 tells us this whole story, right? So we had this old sacrificial system, and it sucked, and it was temporary, and Jesus came and died as a sacrifice once and for all. And so that now enables us to be able to walk into God's presence. So hold on tightly to that relationship, right? Don't waver in that, and motivate and encourage other people. And in order to do that, you need to meet consistently with each other, so don't give up meeting. That's the whole conversation of this Hebrews 10 passage. So remember, this verse without context is super legalistic, right? Go to church. Don't be like those people, you know? Uh, But with context, we can see how God wanted to be with us. Communion with God is the end goal, and we need communion, but we also need communion with each other. And you can't get community watching a sermon online. Um, Having the online stuff is actually super helpful for those that are in kids, for those that can't make it for a certain week, whatever. Uh, Maybe you're watching this right now and be like, what did that Brian guy talk about? I see you. Um, but that's not a substitute for community. It's helpful if you're part of a community. You have to not think about it in terms of like individual meetings, but think of it in terms of like we're part of this big community. And so it's like, okay, I'm part of this community. We've been going through this one series. I want to be on the same page as everyone else, and I missed one because I was away or I was sick or I was on vacation or whatever. I want to watch that service so that I can see where everybody is so then when I'm coming in next week, I'm ready to contribute along with everybody else, right? So two big questions. One is a question you may be thinking which is, is it a sin to miss church? I think like most things, it comes down to motivation, right? It is possible for drinking a glass of orange juice to be a sin. Because if your parents say, listen, you've been drinking way too much orange juice, you need to cut back. And then they find you at midnight being like, <gasps> drinking orange juice like some kind of golem from Lord of the Rings, right? It's not the actual thing, it's the motivation. Sometimes missing church um, is important. So I think of my wife as an example. Uh, she's a nurse in the emergency room at our hospital, and it's very difficult for an ER nurse to work there and not work on the weekends. It's just a thing. It's just the reality of that job. And so she has two options, right? She can quit that job and go find another job and so that she can come on Sundays consistently, but that means that there's one less light in that office and one less light in that hospital, right? And so I think it's important for her to be there. Sometimes you need a vacation, case in point. I won't be here next week. I'm going on vacation. (laughs) That's okay. There's nothing wrong with rest, you know? Uh, And sometimes something comes up. That's fine. You just need to, again, think about it not in terms of individual meetings, but in terms of, okay, I'm part of this body. Um, And ask yourself if you're making excuses to come to church or making excuses to not come to church. Think about if someone says, hey, um, we're doing something on Sunday night. Do you want to come? I have a choice in that moment. I can say, yeah, I'm going to go. Sorry, I can't come to church. I had this thing come up. Or you can say, sorry, I can't go to that thing. I have church on Sunday nights, and it's important for me to be there. Not just because I want to have the check mark of good attendance, but because I will be missed in that service, because people will miss my presence. People will miss me being there. Let us take care that we are not legalistic in our attendance, but not flippant in our absence. So that's the first question that you may have. Second question is a question I have to you, and it's uh, mildly prophetic. I don't know. It's just a visionary question. Can we get to a place as a church? I love where we are as a church. But can we get to a place as a church where when someone misses a Sunday, for whatever reason, the next time we see them, we say, hey, you were missed last week. And that goes two ways. So that comes on us to not be like guilt-tripping people and be like, you weren't there last week, right? Like we don't want to have that vibe. But at the same time, it's like when someone says, hey, you were missed last week, don't fall into this big shame-guilt vibe and be all self-pitying, be like, man, I'm an important part of this body, and my presence was missed last week. 
Listen, I won't be here next week. I'll be on vacay. When I show up next week, I would be super happy if someone said, hey, Brian, we missed you last week. I'd be like, I know. I'm, I missed you guys too. I was in another province somewhere. I don't know where I'm going to be next Sunday. But, um, whether it's a legit excuse or a lame excuse, you are still missed. Now, if you're not missed, we have a problem, right? If no one noticed that you were gone, then we as a church have a problem, that we're missing out on what you have to bring to the table, right? Um, I feel like I should insert in here, uh, serving teams, join a serving team, (laughs) be a part of the community. (laughs) Um, Church, we need to be welcoming people, but also building relationships, and we need to notice when people are gone. Um, We should be contributing, volunteering, so that it's noticed when we're gone. But remember, your smile, your hello, your very presence should be and will be missed if you are not there on a Sunday, because it's all about Thank you, dear. Okay, so in conclusion, because, oh yeah, we're laughing lots of times. In conclusion, um, yeah, God wants to have relationship with you. If you don't have that, it's literally all he wants. He literally set up this like multi-thousand year plan to have relationship with you. Like through the whole ages, all of this is so that you could be in relationship with Jesus. He knows you already. He already knows everything about you. He knows everything that you've ever done wrong. And he still loves you, ridiculously, right? You think about John 3.16, literally like most famous verse. <laughs> so he gave his only begotten son, so whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Why did he do that? For God so loved the world. He doesn't love the planet. He loves you. You are the world. Now, if you already knew that God wants to be in relationship with you, but maybe you've kind of forgotten, he still loves you, still wants to be with you. He did everything he could to be in communion with you. So I've actually asked Corey if he could come and uh, just lead us in a song for just a few minutes. Um, And if you need prayer for any of those reasons, maybe you don't have a relationship with God and you're like, I don't even know what to do, but that sounds fantastic. I would love to be in relationship with a God who knows everything about me and yet still loves me. Then yeah, you're welcome to come to the front and some of the leaders will pray with you. If you're like, I knew that God wants a relationship with me, but I've kind of forgotten about it. Yeah, just take this time. Let's all stand together. Um, and uh, if you need prayer, come to the front. Corey's just going to lead us in a song. just want to encourage us, church, It is, in fact, all about presence. It's all about being in God's presence, being in each other's presence. Our presence is so needed when we show up. One last thing is uh, Jesus was literally called Emmanuel, which means God with us, in and amongst us. Matthew 1 says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet way in advance. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yeah. Let's just say.